know who to take except criticism from though. Yeah, because sometimes criticism is wisdom. Yeah, with now yeah. Wisdom is always accepted. back all you cool cats and kittens oh wow i'm so freaking excited i'm excited as well if you can't tell this is our first podcast so we're excited about our baby yes this won't be our last podcast which brings me to my first question though what is your first question because you interrupted me because i feel like (laughs) i feel like i i'm a professional podcaster now so i feel like i need to create like 67 more podcasts because i feel like people love me Okay, so we will see how many views we get first <laughs> before we get out there too much. But my first question is, why is it so hard to receive criticism as a creative? That's Ooh. such a convoluted question. It is. I think one reason is... we get real sensitive about... Remember, I'm stuff. an artist and I'm sensitive about my... Sister Erica said it best. She told us. Um, I think that... It is difficult because I don't think we create from our minds. I think we create from our hearts. And so when we create from a place, from our hearts, we also receive criticism with our hearts and not our ears. Um, Because we stay in that heart space. And so creatives don't really know how to code switch. It's really hard for us to switch from heart to uh, mind. And so I think when we are receiving criticism we have to realize to not receive it from our hearts but to receive it from our minds in the right perspective that it is someone else's opinion and it's not another thing is we make our art synonymous with us yeah so if you don't like my song you don't like me if you don't like the way i wrote this this chapter in my book or if you didn't like the novel that i wrote then you don't like me and i think that we have to be careful not to make us synonymous with our art because our art is out of our experience and it is out of who we are and so it's from our perspective so it's it's really hard to separate the two i think another part of that is a lot of us spend time with what we do before we showcase it to the world. Uh-huh. So in doing that, we've kind of internalized and made it our baby, made it our thing. So when we do that, by the time we present it to the world, we think, okay, they've seen it one time and now they got so much to say. So we kind yeah. of internalize. It. I know I do. Yeah, me You too. know, we internalize it and it's, you know, that's a, that's a tough thing. But that's because we become consumed with the art. And it's really hard for us to live in those two separate realities. I remember when Kirk Franklin... uh, Do you remember when we went to the Plug Conference back in... Oh, yeah. 2018? That was good. Um, good. Isaac Curry had a conference in um, Atlanta. And Kirk Franklin said that creatives are the... the Creative struggle with depression and creative struggle to live... uh, in a normal life because they're always existing in two different realities. realities. They're always trying to live in the present while they're hearing sounds from the future and hearing um, references from the past and pulling stuff from all these different places because you have to learn to exist in a place that hasn't been created. Created yet. Yeah. Um, That's tough. And I, I think that when we do that as creatives, when we're creating something, we go to a place that hasn't been created yet, but we expect people who haven't gone there with us, to respond as if they've been to that place. But we have to build it for them. They have to get to that place. We've been at that place for months or for however long we've been working on this venture. We can't expect them to get to that same place that we got to, that took us months to get to for them to get there overnight. 
And some some places, sometimes it takes us a little bit longer. Like Beyonce is the queen of creating albums that that need to simmer a little bit. Like when they first come out, you always kind of like I agree. you got a few standouts, and you kind of like I agree. Okay, this is cool. I can. But the more you start listening to it, like the more you start maturing into it, and the more you start being able to pick apart different elements, like the more you grow into it. And I think Beyonce lives so far ahead of us. Like I'm still dissecting the Gift album now. Like I'm, it's so much that I'm still dissecting on that. I'm going to be honest. I really haven't been able to delve into that as much as I have a Beyonce, a true Beyonce album. And I call it a true Beyonce album because she did that for a purpose. She did that right. for you know right. uh, Lion King. Uh-huh. You know, and I respect that. You know, I love Lion King, but it's for me, it's different in a Beyonce album. Yeah, and her setting out to do this for. The Lion King. But when you listen to the, like, I think it's eight songs that she does exclusively, you basically got a Beyonce EP. So you, there's something to dissect there. First of all, what Beyonce album is your favorite? Uh, if I had to have a favorite, I'd say four. Ooh. It, it's definitely between four and... B, you know what? B-Day definitely needs to get its flowers. B-Day, B-Day is good. Um, For me... It would be somewhere between Beyonce, just because she went somewhere different on that album. Like, she went, she went Houston. She I went love West Side. Houston. I love Jealous. I love uh, EXO. I just love EXO was good. I XO love good. that. I just I, oh, my I, favorite moment in EXO was uh, uh uh when she did that little tribal. That was good. Yeah, Beyonce sings. So my she favorite does. song on four would have to be. Um, Start over. Oh, and I, one because it doesn't get its start over. It doesn't get its just do. I mean, I of course, weak. it wasn't. Uh, I love like album cuts. Yeah, I yeah love you are a very deep, album I, cut. Yeah, I do love a deep, a deep album cut. Um, and start over was one you had to like really dig to find. And um, the singing. That's how that I feel about I care. Did. I feel like I care was an album cut. That never would have, like, traditionally could have been a single. But I care. Start I'm over. still she, hearing stuff now that I never heard before, and I care. She, and gave start us over, that, she gave us that growl. Start Over, I feel like, was... I think the reason why Start Over was so good was because it gave us a little bit of everything that we had grown to love about Beyonce up until that point. It had a little urban... She did a little urban in her vocals. She gave us a little bit of that uh, tribal in her vocals. <laughs> she gave us a little bit. Uh, a little she does, but then she gave us that growl, that that dangerously yeah, in love yeah. with the um, with the high note. But yeah, Beyonce. She gave us all of that Beyonce that we love. But basically, just like really good albums, we're just saying they grow with you over time. Yeah. Good albums grow on you. Good art grows on you. So you have to give your audience and people time to catch up to where your mind has been. And that's how you can. Um, that's probably why it's so hard to receive criticism because our mind has been in a different place than everybody else's yeah. minds. So, creatives, the next time you get criticism, understand that that your mind is somewhere else. But I will say this: know who to take except criticism from, though. Yeah, because sometimes criticism is wisdom. Yeah, with now, yeah, wisdom is always accepted. Yeah. So, with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into today's fire feature. <laughs> well, we have a guest voice with us today, none mm-hmm. other than mm-hmm. Asad Thorne, the creator, the CEO, the, okay. s- the 
Visionary of Urban Argyle, the HBCU grad. If you for one HBCU grad, if you go to AT, if you go to matter of fact any surrounding HBCU, you have seen this merchandise. Welcome to the couch. Thank you. Mr. Thank you. Oh yes, we all sitting on the couch today. Oh, yeah, we are on the couch. Sitting kind of on the black couch. couch. Of the couch. <laughs> so tell us who you are. Tell us a little bit about your brand. Tell us how you started. Tell us where you're from, your age. We want to know all of that. Okay, social security number, yeah, tax ID, right, right. your CVV on your credit card. Might get the bar a few dollars. Right. <laughs> well, I'm from the 2-5. Say, now, what are you doing? I'm from Rocky Mountain, North Carolina, originally. Rocky Mountain, Nash County? Nash County. But I went to Northern Nash, not Rocky Mountain Senior High. What separates Nash right. from Edgecombe? <laughs> a railroad track. And I hate to say that because he always joking I was going to I was literally going to ask. I was going to ask, but I didn't want to be like stereotypical no, of is, railroad track. It's a railroad track, yeah. One of my best friends from college used to live in Rocky Mountain, and then um, one of my other friends from college used to live in Wilson. So Yeah, I'm from Rocky Mountain. Um, went to North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. Do it again, do it again. I got it this episode. <laughs> North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. Aggie Pride. Aggie Pride. I'm supposed to say Aggie, and I'm supposed to say Pride. Okay. I got it right this time. Hold on, I got it. Aggie Pride. Oh, okay. <laughs> See, I didn't know. I didn't know how was that PWR coming up. I didn't know that that was the thing. Um, like one person, said, it's kind of like Tar Heel. But no, it's like Aggie Pride, Aggie Pride. We don't really split it though. Josh told me that's how to do it. Well, that's how we do it. So, Aggie Pride, Aggie Pride. He lied. But, um, <laughs> yeah. When I'm starting to question Josh's true Aggie Pride. I'm not. I'm, a true, I'm as true as I get. But go ahead. What was the, oh yeah, I went, I went to A&T. I actually was an engineering major. I actually started working corporate at 16. I started interning in the IT department for Abbott Laboratories. HP scouted me out. That's how I got my scholarship to AT. They actually convinced me to go to AT instead of NC State, which is where I was going. Oh, you was about to be a Wolfpack. I was about to be a Wolfpack. Actually, Aggie. Chapel Hill was my dream school, but they didn't have engineering. So, ah, I'm state. okay. Went there, did engineering. I was good at it, but I hated it. I started interning with HP in California. And one summer I was interning and my boss's boss had a meeting with me. And he was like, you're really good at this, but I just want to have an honest conversation with you. Are you just this something you want to do? Because I want you to chase passion and not do what I did. Because the truth of it is, if you're going to stay in this field, half of these jobs are going to be in India within 10 years. Oh, wow. So I didn't listen to him, but I started diversifying, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, started doing other stuff outside of engineering. Uh, like tutoring, which led to me teaching. Worked at the Civil Rights Museum for a couple of years to help them get opened up. So by that time, it was like I had corporate, nonprofit, and educational experience. On the side, one year, two of my um, free my friends, I was staying with one and one summer before this college year started, and I taught myself graphics, t-shirts, and all those other things while they were asleep. Long story short, not to get too depressing, they ended up getting murdered. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and they always used to tell me to um, stick with it, even though I wasn't really seriously considering it. So that led to me like going down that road and more doors opening up to where I am now. Would you say that your business or what you do now is like a tribute to that person? Oh, absolutely. It was it was actually two of them. Um, they both got murdered and a murder suicide at that point. Wow. So yeah, it's definitely a tribute, but it's also bittersweet because those were the only people that saw it from the very beginning. And it's like they didn't get to see where it has grown to now. 
Because it's definitely like a national brand now. Like, how do? Oh, excuse me. International. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I remember like how hype I was when I was watching YouTube and I saw Latoya Luckett. Oh yeah, and, um, and one of her music videos had on the HBCU grad shirt. I was so hyped. I kept rewinding yeah. to try to screenshot it. So like, how does how does that feel to go starting in a in a house basically mm-hmm. um, to being an international brand? I'm going to be honest, I still have trouble taking it in. It doesn't register to me because I think it's different if someone like has a brand that they own a store and someone comes in and they buy the product and they enjoy I never get to see people as much get their stuff. And unless people tag me, it's like I see it, but it doesn't necessarily always feel feel real. But um, stuff like that, like I kept that as my screenshot on the back of my phone for a minute. Especially considering, like, you know how sometimes you want to reach out to people to expand and then you second guess yourself? Yeah. And this wasn't something I tried to get her to wear. This isn't something they asked to get for free. They, like, they literally went to the site, bought it. A stylist thought it was dope. She picked it out and they used it throughout the whole video. That's amazing. Yeah. So, it's a couple things. Like, when Yolanda Adams had it on, too, I was like, oh, wow. Oh, Yolanda Adams? We love Yolanda Adams. Yeah. Wow. So, these, these aren't just, like, regular people. These are stylists that are intentionally looking for items for their clients exactly. to wear. Exactly. Um, like international stylists, which is crazy. That well, I mean, it's not crazy, but it's amazing it that crazy. you have something to offer that they would look for and that they would go to create. And it created the whole mood or the whole theme mm-hmm. in that video. Yeah, you you come. You said something about uh, you may mention to second guessing yourself. So how do you build confidence as a creator in your brand? Ooh. Um, in my workspace, I got all these signs up, and they say they still gonna buy it because, like, because they still gonna buy <laughs> it. They still gonna buy it because no, that reminds me that no matter what you do, no matter what level you think it on, there's a customer for it, and someone wants it. And no matter how many times you quote unquote mess up in your head, there's gonna be someone that still buys your material. Like, for example, I broke my leg last year, and I wasn't doing any promoting. I was just laying in the bed trying to recover, but it was still people that bought it, yeah. and it was like even though. I had to tell some people, hey, I'm not even working right now. I'm healing up for a couple months. They still came back and still bought it. So the confidence part, I'm not sure of because sometimes I just have to push through it just do and it. zone out. But um, yeah, it's, it's a constant experience journey battle because I used to seek, I guess, outside things for validation. Gotcha. And now you have to just do it internally. So we talked about this in a previous episode, but how do you build your confidence as a creative? How do you take criticism from other people? Um, that's interesting because up until this year, it was very different. So for example, before this, if I got criticism, it used to like knock me off for like a minute or at least a couple days because the, the interesting part about having an online business is a lot, most of the feedback you get is negative. So let's say I ship out 15 orders in one day. You're more likely to have that one person that's like, oh, I got this late because people will come back if something's wrong. But if people had a good experience, they're less likely to come say, oh, this was great. I loved it because people are just so you get used to hearing more criticism and it's easy to think that that's the response that everyone has to your stuff. Mm. So that's been a journey for me. But I think what happened for me was I went through a little time period around when I broke my leg where I was getting criticism. But I didn't even have the space to even give 
agency or like interpretation yeah, to sense. it. That makes sense. So now it's like if someone criticizes, I just understand that it's a part of it, and then it's a part of growth because the more people that you have access to, the more opportunity there is for criticism. Yeah, and they still don't buy it. They still. That's exactly how to start. My friends now they do that to me because like when I'm stressing about something, like yo, I wanted to get this out, and this day I wanted this to be the color. Like they still gonna buy at the end of the day in the beginning. But I, I really had to free myself from that because it got to a point where it it's like suffocated my creativity because I was entering an idea um, with the, the thought of how it was going to be interpreted before I even started. And I would design along those lines as opposed to design it from a space, a space of pure creativity and then figure out how to make it marketable or mm. how to make it sell. So you just said something really important. Creatives shouldn't get caught up in interpretation. You can't. We can't create for interpretation. We have to create for what we feel. You can't. And it's hard to do when that's how you eat. Because it's like, it's real easy. Yeah, that's true. It's real easy to sit back. Like, for example, I can sit back and say, hey, I need to make sure this design has two colors in it because I can't have it cost more than this to produce. And I need to sell it at this price point. But when you think from the limitations, sometimes the creativity can't even come through to where it's going to be. Wow. So it's like, if you would have just been focused on whatever it is God's trying to give you and come on, you need a little organ behind it. Right, you see you're focusing on how to like sell ten to one design when he's trying to give you something that's gonna sell like a hundred or so to the point where you get tired of producing and tired of seeing it. So I try to stay out of that space. So since you there's so many levels to what you do, and like you said, you do this full time. This mm-hmm. is your bread and butter. Mm-hmm. So what are your priorities as as a business owner? What are your priorities as a creative, as a business owner? Because I'm imagine they have to clash sometimes. It used to be it used to be strictly profit. It used to be strictly profit. But now I have I wrote it on the wall in here. It's like the creative um, the creative impulse trumps everything. So the creative what impulse trumps everything. Okay. So even if I'm in the midst of filling orders, like if something comes in, you got to stop and work on that because. It's easier to do the mundane task and get stuff done and enter that space involuntarily than it is to enter the creative space. So now it's the creative. And if I have to take go from that creative, how broad it is, and bring it back in, then that's the case. For example, I had something um I have a couple of designs that are like very image heavy. And I strayed away from that because they cost so much more to produce. And now I'm in a situation where I've got another manufacturer that can produce it at the same rate than my other things were. But if I would have stayed in that space, I would have never got there. Especially in something like, for lack of a better term, I'm in the fashion industry, which changes constantly, nonstop, in an right. internet age where people have a short attention span. Attention so, you gotta, span yeah. Yeah. so you got to stimulate, you got to get it, and it has to be something where they want to feel associated with it. So that's, so that's a lot of industries to try to layer on top of each other and execute with. So since you said um, that about... I love what you said about like the impulse to create basically is your first priority. Mm-hmm. Like if anything else comes along, you can put everything else to the side and come back to it, but you may not be able to come back to the that opportunity mm-hmm. to create. Mm-hmm. So use it when you get that download. And I think that's something that we all need to learn yeah. to do because a lot of us we try to like stockpile mm-hmm. those moments or we try to hold off. And it's like, um, okay, I have this idea, mm-hmm. but let me finish what I'm doing. Let me work on what I'm doing and then come back to it. And then we lose it or we, yeah. it doesn't have the same value or we can't really do it the way we want to, you know. And so how that looks for me as a songwriter is sleeping. I know we mentioned this before, but 
sleeping with a notebook by my bed mm-hmm. because if I wake up with something, mm-hmm. I have to write it down. Yeah. Yeah. Or voice notes. I have yes, voice hundreds notes. of voice notes mm-hmm. on my phone right now of ideas that I've gotten and I've had to get it out. You ain't got mm-hmm. no hundreds. You I do have hundreds of voice notes <laughs> in my phone. Right I have <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, that's real. And it's like, that, I'm going to be honest, this is a very new space for me. Like, I only entered that place in January, but that's because I sat back and realized how many ideas and opportunities I lost by not in doing it. I work better at night. Like I feel like I just need to be like a third shift person. Mm-hmm. And I just need to do that. And every time it's like why why you keep saying why don't you just do it and stop trying to make your life be like a nine to five type thing. So I had to just throw that in there. I mean creative people honestly nine to five generally goes against just the chemistry of who we are. Yeah, everything we believe. It really it goes against the core of who we are. That's why I, I bought, um, I have this thing sitting on my desk at work. Um, I'm a little bit disrespectful. But it said, <laughs> well, I took it home now since I'm working at home. But it says, I'm too creative for nine to five. <laughs> and oh, your desk at work. My <laughs> <laughs> desk at work. <laughs> wow. And because it's the truth, I have to remind myself like, I am trying to force myself into a box that doesn't belong to me, that doesn't fit me. Like, make, I, it's very important for creatives to follow their natural pattern. Like, whenever I'm most creative, that's when I need to be working. Mm-hmm. It doesn't need to be on a time frame. It doesn't need to be on mm-hmm. a, a certain schedule. Like, just because if I'm, if I'm forcing myself into nine to five, then I can't do what you said mm-hmm. and let the impulse be, you know, king. Impulse can't be the most, the impulse mm-hmm. to create can't lead me if I'm trying to trap it into nine to five mm-hmm. and then I get the impulse to create at 1130. Right. Yeah. I used to work with um, Dr. Angelo's niece, like really tight actually. And she said like, it's important to give like your big brain a break and let your little brain work. So sometimes she would just stop and just play solitaire. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Oh, hold on. wow. Hold on, hold on. Doc, the Dr. Maya Angelou as, as in Maya oh you name dropping <laughs> many people <laughs> like, wonder what my secret lies <laughs> <laughs> but yeah she t- and that sticks with me so sometimes like if I feel like I've been going too long I'll stop I'll play Uno I'll go watch a show even if it's like for 20 minutes just to give like my big brain a break and I feel like we, f- we feel guilty about doing it sometimes but you can't pour from an empty cup for me that's coloring um, I have coloring books mm-hmm. everywhere. I have art books everywhere. I will be sitting in the middle of church, and if I need a break, mm-hmm. I will pull out my crayons and my notebook and start coloring. Like it, whenever I need, I know when I need that break. I know mm-hmm. when I'm at my breaking point, and coloring does that for me. Or art, period, because it's so thoughtless. Um, this website uh, right now, they're sending like paint my number canvases for twenty dollars. I'll send it to you. I could do that myself. I don't need no paint. <laughs> I don't need no paint my number. Oh, basically. <laughs> and she also said, "Oh, more wisdom." <laughs> she always she um she said, "Do everything in moderation, even moderation." So wow. that's what I'm into. Do wisdom. everything in moderation, even moderation. That's what. Mm-hmm. That's wisdom. Mm-hmm. Maya whole Maya's whole bloodline is blessed. <laughs> Anointed. Anointed. <laughs> With time. words. Mm-hmm. Still they rise. Just like moons and like suns <laughs> with the certainty of tides. <laughs> Alright, so since you talked about your brand having like a nostalgic feel, one of our previous guests um, on the show, she said that what actually attracted her to your brand was your marketing and that she grew up in the 90s and everything was real, like kind of resembled the 90s and it was real nostalgic and it just reminded her of her childhood and that's how she first connected to 
um, your brand. So, was the 90s an influential period for you? Like, what? Because it, it does kind of have that 90s feel. Like, what was going on in the 90s? Like, yeah. Yeah. Like, so much simpler, so much happier. Yeah. But on, yeah, a, on a deeper scale, this is like a little cheat code. Nostalgia, mar- nostalgia marketing is the strongest form of marketing there is because psychologically we remember things better than what they were. So, yes. anything that people see that reminds them of an earlier time, they're going to automatically associate with. Um, that's why a lot of companies keep the same jingles that they do over decades because it gives you a, it does something to your subconscious brain if you're going through the grocery store and let's say you're with your mom in the grocery store when you were young. You may not have um, thought about it, but you might have heard the best part of waking up is folders in your cup or something. Yes. So later on in life, when you hear that, it does something, which is why these some companies go every holiday season and play the same commercial like the Cadbury Bunny. The, um, the Eminem's the with Eminem. Santa Claus. Exactly. He does yeah. exist. He and the exist. And the Hershey's Kisses one was like, dum, 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 dum. yeah, yeah. So it's. It's, it's two-sided. Yes, to answer your question, but it's also a very conscious marketing. Okay, give us a little insight. Mm-hmm. And then by also... And then when you see somebody else do something along the lines, it's oh, like, oh, oh, Lord, oh, oh, that's, my, that's my next <laughs> question. Like, that's my next question. You should have went there with it. So, you aren't the only... We know that you aren't the only brand that offers, like, the nostalgic HBCU, African-American culture-themed products and apparel, but... You have experienced longevity that some of those other brands have not experienced. Um, so how do you continue to remain relevant and how do you continue to separate your brand from everybody else's to be able to maintain the audience that mm-hmm. you have? Because a lot of those pop up mm-hmm. and then they're gone. Like I've seen a lot of people that do stuff so like that's African-American related culture, you mm-hmm. know, African-American culture related. That's HBCU tailored but you kind of always seem to be adding mm-hmm. something to your catalog you always seem to be uh, making something fresh or mm-hmm. creating something new where does that come from tell me what that looks like because I, I just, first of all I just want to know uh, <laughs> I'm nosy but, but also like because a lot of creators stall whenever somebody else is doing what they're doing oh, yeah. Yeah. and you seem to always come out of that you don't, oh, yeah. you don't seem to get boxed in by that so um, tell us about that tell us your testimony yeah it's two parts because I'm, I'm the first organ um, behind you I, 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 a true genuine brand it's like a child so it grows and it's gonna 
be redefined and it's going to expand and you really honestly have to focus on your lane and because when you start looking at other people's and comparing yourself and seeing how much they're doing and what works for them it's real easy to get caught up in that and sometimes it's gonna be like slow seasons but you just gotta just like trust what it's doing and i'm always true to myself like i think my mind and my thought process is i think the thing is i know how to make something cool and i stick to that so i always joke and say like if i put an exclamation mark on the shirt i know how to make it hot but um I just stick to that. That's actually a good idea. You might have to take that. No, you're not. I'm going But yeah. Wow, so you said, oh, that was so good. Mm-hmm. You said you got to follow it even if you don't know where it's going. Yeah. Like, yeah. Just, mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us, we want to see the end product. Okay. We want to see the finished product. We okay. want to see it all. Like, I was talking to somebody the other day and we were talking about how genius uh, this one particular songwriter was. And we were saying that the difference is, is that we write or we create music, us specifically, not every every writer. But we have to change our mindset from creating music from getting a blueprint to creating music from the house that's already on the market mm-hmm. and dialing it and going backwards. Right. Like recreating it. We have to see more than what we see in order to really make it live. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that is... You know, trusting your instinct, trusting your gift, trusting the anointing, trusting what you have. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of us, when we get down to it, we realize we don't. Yeah. 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 And I feel like whatever, like when you try to do that and see the end, it's always so much smaller than what it can or is going to be. Because we're not looking at it like in an omnipresent way like God is doing or like an omniscient way. Like seeing uh-oh, all the things that you're doing. So it's yeah. like we're sitting here trying to figure out how to do this one thing to give us this one opportunity not knowing that it's something sitting here waiting for you to take that next step that's going to make it so much easier so much broader than what you're going to do Could what you're thinking who said faith is taking the first step and you don't see that Man, I feel like I said that what? no 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 <laughs> <laughs> first of all you didn't say that I like I said <laughs> I don't know who said it, but somebody said also, since we're talking about what somebody shared, <laughs> the songwriter said, no, somebody said that faith is the bridge that God builds under you as you walk. Mm-hmm. Um, and I love that one too. Um, so basically what I heard you say now, I ain't trying to rebrand your words or re, you know, reinterpret your words and make it a sermon. But it sounds like to me what you said is, hey, and I could be off, but it sounds like to me mm-hmm. what you're saying is we actually dishonor God when we when we devalue what it is that he gives us or we don't really move on the concepts that he gives us because it could be a means to provision for us or it could be that next step that leads us down the path that we want to go. And if we don't respond to that, then ultimately that's a form of disobedience or dishonor. Wow. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, and it's kind of like, it's like... Cause you're about to make me run. We pray for stuff. You know what I'm saying? It's like, God, bless me with this, bless me with this, bless me with this. And you're working on something that you don't feel like is related to that because you define what it's supposed to look like. And while you're wasting time not taking that step that you feel like is not related, you're going back and praying for something. <laughs> and God is just sitting there waiting for you to do it. Like, I've given you the tools. Right. <laughs> right. I gave you everything you need and more. Stop mm-hmm. crying, go work. Wow. Pick up, your, mm-hmm. it reminds me, up your bed. <laughs> take up your bed and walk. <laughs> it reminds me of like um, in the Bible where Rhoda, and, you know, where Peter's in prison and they're praying and Rhoda basically tells like um, the people in the prayer meeting, like she basically says like, 
Peter, well, she does say Peter's at the door. But basically, she's saying, like, stop praying. Like, what you've been praying for is here already. You just have to take the steps to open the door. Open and you just have to you, open the and door. And we don't do that. Open your own door. We don't have to open it. But he places the door in front of you. He don't, every exactly. door he doesn't have to open. Bless him, Wayne, at the door line. You know, <laughs> boy. That's good. You could do that every episode. You're determined. I am to, do that. <laughs> to tune up every episode. Every episode. <laughs> You're gonna have a, I might even start hooping now <laughs> at the end of every episode. Don't get me started. <laughs> that hoop. That was like a 1980s hoop. We don't hoop like that. Like uh-huh. That's how. Uh-huh. Come on, clock sisters or Beyonce. Which one? We don't know. Where you get it from? Jay Z. Jay Z. Oh, both of them. Yeah. Okay. Constitutes as success for your business. I guess there's two separate questions. Um, Long term goal. Um, I do want to have a lifestyle brand, but one of my short, medium, long, short, medium. <laughs> okay, what's not? <laughs> short, medium, long. Let's go with medium. So, yeah, um, just being a lifestyle brand, I do plan on having bigger brand collaborations. I, I'll say that. Having bigger brand okay. What was the second question? And what constitutes a success for you in your mind for your business? Because no one else can define that for you. Um, so what do you constitute as success? When you sat down and um, you wrote the vision, and you say this is the end goal for me. What what did that look to be honest? Um, the repeated successes. If I can get it out of my head to a point where it's tangible and it's happening, whether that's something like whether it's as simple as a t-shirt design or whether it is something as deep as I want to throw an event that collaborates all small black-owned businesses so we can get stuff together. I want it to be so much bigger than a t-shirt brand with the t-shirt being the through line through everything and to go back to your question i think that's the answer too that's how i have longevity too it's not just a t-shirt brand it's like i have other things that add into that whether it's a brunch or but it's like a lifestyle there's an experience to it so i was gonna say that it's, it's like an experience uh like when you purchase a t-shirt you buy into this experience exactly. and, and this this cultural club yeah and i and i feel like when it's i feel like it's like it has the same effect as like an organizational piece of paraphernalia for a Greek sorority or something, but it also has like the achievement part of being black, of being educated, of being, it's like I can, you can ride it through line, like I'm experienced, I'm not black, but I'm still in tune, I'm still conscious and I might be at church or I might just take a couple shots like I do before I do this. <laughs> oh, Jesus. <laughs> um, the one thing I love about your brand, though, is that it is something kind of for everybody mm-hmm. because I didn't graduate from an HBCU. Mm-hmm. So when I see the HBCU grad apparel, um, obviously, I feel like that's not inclusive mm-hmm. of me. But then when I see the Assemble and Take Over, mm-hmm. when I see the, like, I'm from Winston-Salem. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. when you did, like, the Winston-Salem Teachers yeah. College, um, you know, for Winston-Salem State University, yeah. like, that's something that I can actually buy into because a lot of my family yeah. has been there. And I was able to, you know, able to do stuff like that. Um, and, like, when you do the uh, Nostalgia Collection, I think it was yeah. there was a Nostalgia. Like, yeah, the yeah, you've made opportunities for everybody to buy in. Mm-hmm. So it's not... You know, it's really inclusive mm-hmm. of everybody. So even if you don't have, you know, the connection to being an HBCU grad, mm-hmm. everybody has the connection. Most people have the connection to Whitney mm-hmm. Whitley Gilbert. Most people have mm-hmm. some type of connection to, you know, some of the um, some of the symbol and takeover yeah. stuff, the Africa, yeah. um, you know, piece that you did. Like, I wanted to add something too because I just thought about something you asked me. 
Um, you were saying what does success look like for you? Yes. Um, I'm trying to redefine it now because my my main initial goal I achieved, I feel like, already. Um, I told you I was going to NC State. My guidance counselor actually suggested me to go to A&T. And I was like, I can go on an A&T. I'm not going to go to HBCU. <laughs> Honestly, it was my thought process, not knowing about HBCUs. Mm, to walk in, not walk out your blessing. You know what I'm saying? But then, like, this. my favorite TV show was A Different World. And it made the HBCU experience, like, appealing to me. So I always wanted to, like, make clothing do for others what A Different World did through TV show for oh, me. Oh, wow. So that was the goal. And I feel like now... It's like people rep it harder than ever before. And I do feel like I was a major part of that because I do feel like people weren't making it like that before I came out and did it. That is incredible because, wow. Because, yeah, that, it is an experience. A Different World was an experience. It wasn't just a TV it was, show. It was. it was an experience. I love, well. It literally was a part of your childhood. It right. was. And it made me want to go to college. Mm-hmm. Like watching it when I was young. And I, it's one of my favorite TV shows now. Um, so this is just kind of sidebar. Like, what is your favorite since since a different world was your favorite show? What's your favorite theme song? I don't know who the first Ooh, lady was. The first one was Aretha Franklin, right? No, no, no Aretha was, was the second. No, the first, the first one was the lady. lady with the harmonica. Yeah. Um, I know my parents. Yeah, yeah when it was on the back of the truck, Ooh. and Dwayne uh, was playing a piano on the back of the truck with Denise. Okay, okay. So okay. is it? So is, is it? Aretha, boy, Aretha yeah. was amazing. <laughs> Aretha was legendary, mm-hmm. but Boys the Men, they were only like a couple of seasons. Yeah. Like maybe that sec- that last season, the fifth season, I think they only did Boys the Men. So okay. which one? Aretha is historic, but nothing gets you hyped like that opening part of that Boys the Men. Nothing touches that one. Um, it's they had that new jack swing yeah up. I wonder if Teddy Riley and then it's like when you look at the video for me it looks like that was the only one where they actually like heard it like they were going with the song yeah the other one was just like little scene vignettes and I love on that one because you saw the growth of everybody like it went from like that freshman year to college to where they were now yeah like Freddie with the peace sign down to being a lawyer yes uh, I love that All right, y'all, we do not want to leave you without giving you um, a furnace moment um, where you can be inspired, where we can give you something that hopefully will light a match to your heart and your spirit. Um, So the next time that we come together, um, something that you can work on and something that can help that you can build and that can help you build. So I want to talk about um, we always try to apply something biblical to this. Um, I want to talk about Luke chapter one. There's a guy in that book. His name is Zechariah, and he is the father of John the Baptist. And so Zechariah was a priest and he was very old and his wife was old. Um, and so the angel of the Lord appears to him one day while he's serving in the temple and says to him that he's going to have a son. And the first thing that Zechariah says to him is, are you sure? Well, when Gabriel comes to him, he says, um, the Lord has heard your prayer and you're going to have a son. He's going to be a delight to you and he's going to be a great man um, for all the nations who's going to um, welcome walk in the spirit of Elijah and welcome the Messiah and he basically lays it out but I love the fact that the angel says that this will be a delight to you so like this is something that you're really going to enjoy this is something that you're really going to love um, and that was something that he prayed for. And so the angel of the Lord comes to him and says, God heard your prayers. This is something that you're going to have. And the first thing that Zachariah says to him is, are you sure? And the angel says, yes, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of the Lord all day and deliver his messages. I am certain that this is going to happen. But because of your uncertainty, and he then says, because of your disbelief, 
you will not be able to speak until these things come to pass. And then after they had the baby, you know, he was able to speak and he named the baby John. But the part that I really want to talk about is the fact that the angel didn't address his concern. He addressed his uncertainty. He said, because of your unbelief, you will not be able to speak until this happens. He never, John, I mean, Zechariah never said that he did not believe. He was just saying, you know, that he was uncertain. So the Lord, I feel like for a lot of creative creatives, we live in a place of, we know that God has called us to do something and we pray for things. But when it shows up, we respond with uncertainty. And we're like, are you sure this is for me? And the truth is, Zechariah was a priest. So he had been in the temple praying for other people. So he really believed that God could do it. But the question was, did he believe that God could do it for him or that God was willing to do it for him? And so I think that um, that's very powerful for creators because we pray for a lot of stuff. And then when the opportunity yeah. shows up, we're like, God, are you sure this is for me? Are exactly. you sure I'm supposed to do this? And so his uncertainty, the Gabriel didn't say because of your uncertainty. He said because of your unbelief, you won't be able to speak. So I think that uncertainty is always a manifestation of unbelief. If I'm uncertain in myself, if I'm uncertain in in my abilities, somewhere ar along the line, I don't really believe. And I think that a lot of us, we have friends who are doing things, who are making moves, and we feel like God will do it because I've seen him do it, but will he do it for me? Yeah. Like, I I'm certain that he can do it, but when it comes to me, I have uncertainty. And I, I, that's something I've really had to struggle with. And I love that the angel strikes him silent and doesn't let him speak until the promise comes because the angel says look uh you were getting basically this is the revelation i get he stopped him from having the ability to talk himself out out of what was meant for him so if I, if you can't speak then you can't talk yourself out of this but you also can't go back to your wife elizabeth and fill her head with doubt right. you can't right. speak you can't speak negatively over this promise and you cannot let your words misshape this thing that God is doing. And so I think it was such a blessing that the angel rendered him silent because he wasn't able to create or destroy what God had intended for him with his words because we already knew that his thought life was a little bit off and his first words were, are you sure? And so I just want to inspire and encourage all creatives to really make sure that when that thing that you've been praying for shows up, that you have a certainty that I've been praying for this and this is why it's here and not try to talk yourself out of it, not trying to back yourself And that you're prepared. Make sure that you are prepared for it prepared. when it comes. I'm sure that there was plenty of preparation that had to take place for a baby. I'm sure that, that Zachariah thought about all of that, like at his age, but at the end of the day, like you have to make sure that you are prepared for it and that you are willing to receive it. A lot of us are praying for things that we're not really willing to receive. Wow. Wow. And we have to realize that or recognize that the angel said, the Lord heard your prayer. And his response was, are you sure? Why? What have you invested your time in that now there is momentum building on it? God, God is breathing on it and you're backing out of it or you're finding a way not to, to complete it or to fulfill it. And that's really big for me, like, because I always do that. I always ask God for ideas. I always ask God for innovation. I always come up with ideas and things. And then when he gives them to me, the first thing I do is say, oh, God, it's too big for me. I can't do that. And then somebody else does it. And then I'm sick. 
I'm sick when they do it because he gave me that idea six years ago, six months ago, and I didn't move on it. And there's nothing harder than watching somebody else carry out the promise that God gave you. Wow. Or the vision that he gave you. But because you didn't work the vision, because you never wrote it and made it plain, or because you responded with uncertainty, now you're silent. And now you're living in a place of silence when they're living in a place of prosperity. And the fruit of the labor that you were too lazy or too afraid to begin. When he gave you the idea, he gave you the everything that you needed in the beginning. Everything comes in seed form. So the hardest thing is like seeing somebody, seeing the, a full tree bear the fruit of the seed that you received. But because you didn't plant it, and you didn't tend to it, your seed died. That's good stuff. So you heard it here on Wildfire. We hope that you are encouraged. We hope that you laughed. We hope that you are inspired by something one of us said. Um, and we look forward to seeing you or you hearing us next time on here on the Wow Fire. Wow Fire? No. <laughs> no. Wow Fire. Wow Fire. That's good. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Wildfire. You can follow me aside Thorn on Instagram at urban underscore Argyle or HBCU grad on Facebook. So that's facebook.com slash HBCU grad.